The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. Asian shares rise on a report the U.S. and China have struck a trade truce ahead of a meeting between Presidents Trump and Xi at the G20 this weekend. We're meeting with China. Just so you know, China has been paying us billions and billions of dollars. Until I got here, they never paid this country 10 cents. So we'll see what happens with China. President Trump talks of unlimited time to reach a deal with Iran, adding he's not considering boots on the ground, as Tehran says it could breach its uranium limit today. Elsewhere, Democratic presidential candidates, a clash over health care and immigration, but unite in their criticism of President Trump's economic policies in the first round of debates. And rumors ring that the EU is set to greenlight Vodafone's $22 billion takeover of Liberty Global after agreeing to concessions. I was just getting a little bit worried because I was sitting at the desk. And the reason why I was sitting at the desk was a bit of dramatic effect. But the point was, I was just, just trying to look at that soundbite again from President Trump that Jeff just played in the headlines. And that, what an extraordinary headline it was. Some of you may say, oh, it's another headline. Mark goes up, hopes for Trump, she uh, detente. But for me, it had all kinds of ingredients in it. First of all, the fact that Mr. Trump in his bite said, China's paying us billions and billions of dollars. I was like, but, but they're not. It's American companies. It's American consumers. We've seen that bit, haven't we? We've done this. We've looked at the customs data. It's unambiguous. This is paid by American companies at point of entry. No? Okay. The other point was markets rally on the hope of a Trump-Xi deal, a China-US deal. Well, hang on a second. If there's a China-US deal, does that mean the trade war is off? Yeah, go with me on this one. And does that mean we don't need the rate cut from the Fed? So we're not getting the other stimulus. And the, and the thing that's taken up the markets, and let me just quote you here, the Dow week to date, 6.9% higher. The S&P up 6%. WTI up 10% plus uh, month to date. Gold going through the roof, which is a bit of an outlier, but we'll come to that later. So does that mean all those rallies that have happened on the back of a hopes of a uh, more dovish pal, that's all off the table if we get a trade deal? Again, I don't know the answer, but look at this. Wait, amazing. We rally when things are so bad that Powell's got to uh, um, cut rates, and we're rallying if he might not have to cut rates if we get a trade. I'm really confused. Thank goodness we're getting certainty from policymakers like Mark Carney. Yeah, there we were a week ago going, Bank of England, and I'll quote the headline, for, I think it was the Reuters headline, the Bank of England to plough a lonely furrow talk about rate hikes this week go forward another week and we're talking about carney's talking about a rate cut if there's a no deal brexit yeah okay well where, where else do you want surety well maybe from the president himself yeah that's right yes they saying we should have draghi he's the policy maker we need at the central bank not Powell. we need draghi oh hang on a second he said a week ago that they were unfairly that draghi was unfairly manipulating the euro for them for the europeans so do you want Draghi or not? Are we going to have a trade deal or not? Is a trade deal good or not? Is a rate cut in the bag or not? It is blooming confusing, but I can tell you the markets are just taking a little bit of a pause yesterday. 
A little bit of a pause, 0.3 of 1% higher for the NASDAQ. Interesting looking at the, the splits, actually. Utilities had a really uh, poor session. I think it was down 2.1%, whereas uh, energy continued to rally on the back of the oil price. In fact, do you look at the oil price? Now I've started. Yeah, I've been in for a couple of days. Uh, here we are. Uh, well, the three-month picture really doesn't tell the story. What really tells the story is literally the last few weeks or so where we've seen a huge rally on OPEC plus hopes. Of course, that meeting now. 1st, 2nd July, and on this amazing data we saw out of the US yesterday, where we we're expecting a drawdown of 3 million barrels, I think it was, uh, came down 12.8. So very interesting there, albeit with a, an East Coast refinery uh, shutting for good being a part of the numbers as well. WTI currently trading 59 bucks. Okay, Asian indices, yeah, you know the first headline that got me all excited? Here we are, nine tenths of 1% higher Shanghai Composite, Hang Seng up 1.1%, Nikkei up 0.9%. What about the European indices? They stalled a little bit yesterday. Are they rallying? No, they are not. We are called down across the board. So, confusing old world. Very good morning. I think having a couple of days off does you does you some good. I not mean, you take, get, you take not, the energy to 11. I don't think so. I've been glum for two days. <laughs> you didn't want to see me yesterday, I tell you. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, well, miserable as sin. I know it's only sport, but blooming heck. Let's not talk too much about cricket. We don't cricket. talk about cricket on this show. No, absolutely. Um, let's move on. Let's just uh, talk a little bit about the G20. Moments ago, Chinese President Xi Jinping arrived in Osaka ahead of the G20 summit. It comes as the US and China have reportedly agreed to a tentative truce. That according to the South China Morning Post, citing sources. The newspaper says the meeting between Presidents Xi Jinping and Donald Trump will not go ahead, however, if Washington does not sign off on the provisional trade agreement. The two leaders are scheduled to sit down at 04.30 CET on Saturday morning. The Chinese Daily says details of the deal are expected to be released in two separate press releases. Right now, President Trump is on his way to Japan. Before he left Washington, D.C., Trump told reporters a trade deal with China is possible this weekend. But he also said the U.S. could impose additional tariffs if an agreement cannot be reached. We've been ripped off by everybody over the years. They're not ripping us off anymore. A big difference right now. We're meeting with China. Just so you know, China has been paying us billions and billions of dollars. Until I got here, they never paid this country 10 cents. So we'll see what happens with China, with Russia, with Japan, with many countries. All right. Well, let's bring in our first guest, Seth Carpenter. He is the U.S. chief economist at UBS. Uh, so coming off of uh, the, the, the clip we just showed there of President Trump and looking at some of the market action we saw yesterday, uh, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, said we were 90 percent of the way there on trade. Markets reacted quite positively to this. But we've heard this kind of optimism before. And what does that price action tell you about what the market is pricing in when it comes to a potential trade agreement this weekend. Sure. No, I do think there's a great deal of optimism across markets. And I think, as you pointed out, it's very important to remember, we were sort of in the same position in November, heading into the other G20 meeting in Buenos Aires, and everyone seemed to believe we were right there, the deal was 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 in the bag. And sure enough, uh, in May, we got some tweets from the president saying not only was there a re-escalation with China, but there were going to be tariffs on Mexico. Obviously, those have come back. But I think it, that should be quite quite an instructive lesson for everyone not to get over their skis too much.
Now, UBS uh, got a lot of attention with a big call that you guys came out with uh, recently around the potential impact of an escalation in tariffs. You guys are calling globally for a 75 basis point cut to your forecast over the next six quarters if we do see an escalation. I mean, that's a pretty sizable downside scenario. Why do you think markets aren't more worried about the impact of this happening? I think there are a few reasons here. One is still just that optimism that people do believe that a deal is is almost in the bag. Uh, second, I think there's just been a great deal of uncertainty about how big of an economic effect it is when you have these tariffs. I remember, I may have actually been here a year ago, uh, you know, last summer when this was first bubbling up, and we at the point at, at that time had said, trade deal is a big thing. We're going to see a slowdown in the U.S. in the fourth quarter of 2018, maybe spilling into the first quarter. It'll cause the Fed to pivot away from being hawkish. At that point, People were throwing rocks and garbage at us, thinking that we were crazy, that it would be such a big deal. And so I still think the market's coming to grips with just how big a deal it is, and then layer on top of that the optimism, and you get the sort of reactions we see. Are, um, are Trump and his team making the same mistake that American administrations have consistently made when dealing with Asian counterparts, that they go in ratcheting up the pressure, expecting that that will force their counterparts to buckle. And I note as we come into this, the president has talked about throwing another 10% on top of the 25% in tariffs that have already been leveled. Do you think that this is smart negotiating or has he misunderstood the way the Chinese respond to threats? International negotiations always are very, very difficult between the United States and China, two very, very large, very powerful countries, very powerful economies. It makes that kind of uh, interaction even more fraught. And we have heard from Chinese uh, officials about the need for negotiations that continue with dignity. So I do think there is a clear risk of coming in too hard, not providing a, a, a respectable way out for both sides to get to a deal. Uh, and I think that fact, just how difficult this path is with such an aggressive negotiating style reflects just how long it's taking and how many ups and downs we've seen in the negotiations. The um, uh, hedge fund manager Kyle Bass uh, said overnight um, investors should ignore the G20 meeting by and large and just brace themselves for further tariffs at this point because President Trump will ultimately end up putting tariffs on every dollar of Chinese products that come into the United States. I know he's got a strong line on China anyway right. and has had a short on the yuan for some time. But do you think there's anything to that, that what we've experienced up to this point is a series of miscommunications and failed negotiations? Kyle Bass is probably backing the trend, isn't he? So I think that's fair. And I, I, one issue that I've seen over and over in markets over the past year, year and a half, when we've been discussing the trade war is how many people have thought that perhaps all of the, the, the threats are just bluster, some sort of bluff, when in fact, regardless of what one thinks of the President of the United States, when it comes to China, he has followed through on putting tariffs on uh, several times. There have been delays, there have been fits and starts, but nevertheless, He's followed through. And so in that regard, I think one should not and cannot rule out the idea that we are going to get the full escalation and possibly, uh, as you referred to, the additional 10% sort of ratcheting things up yet further. Um, it is not beyond politicians um, to say they've got a major deal when actually they only make incremental uh, baby steps forward as well. If there is some form of rapprochement, detente, call it what you like. I don't know what the French call it, but... Um, <laughs> but 
between the likes of Xi and, and Trump as well. Uh, they can call it, you know, the, the, the foothills of a deal, but it might not necessarily be that, even though the president might trump it quite, um, quite loudly to the world. Um, a meaningful deal and a deal. There's a very big difference between the two, though, isn't there? Oh, there's a vast difference between uh, saying that you have a deal, actually having a deal. But then I'll go one further. There's, a, there's also a big difference from them after the G20 meeting, having that great photo opportunity where they're smiling, they're shaking hands, they say, this is great, we, we've got a deal. will be that regardless, though. I, so I agree with you, but then the question becomes, what does that mean? Does that mean that the rest of the escalation doesn't happen? Does that mean the rest of the escalation doesn't happen and we get a rollback of existing tariffs? I mean, the, the, the spectrum of possible outcomes is just enormous. So the $64,000 question is, what does Powell do on the back of this as well? Are we gonna hold that off a little bit so we can leave viewers waiting? Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do this. Oh, too tantalizingly exciting. God, I missed work. <laughs> Especially when England rubbish at cricket. That's did good. I mention the cricket? Yeah, you did mention it. <laughs> no, I don't It's good that you're enjoying it. Do you cricket. like cricket, Seth? I love cricket. You're going to have my tickets for Saturday. We're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seth Gardner, the US uh, Chief Economist. What were you saying? Uh, it doesn't matter now. No, Let's cool. move on. Let's move on. Did you see Pakistan yesterday? Yes, I did. My new favourite team. <laughs> Terrific. My new favourite team. <laughs> Loved. Uh, it was a real nail-biter with the Kiwis. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, as much as I love uh, learning more and more about cricket. No, you Steve don't. That was a lie. <laughs> Uh, well, I just want to bring you some news uh, around Huawei, a story that's, of course, been getting a huge amount of attention over the last uh, several months. Huawei, in the latest, uh, has denied reports its employees cooperate with the Chinese military. The company's chief legal officer told CNBC its products are solely for civil use. This follows an earlier Bloomberg report suggesting employees worked with the People Liberation Army on research around AI and radio communications. Huawei's alleged relationship with the Chinese government has been a major point of concern for Western governments and seen Washington, of course, blacklist it from doing business with U.S. companies. And the fascinating question, which we don't have an answer to, and I don't think Steph does either, is, is Huawei part of the deal? Or is it a security threat which is on a different side of the road? We just don't know, because sometimes we think it is part of the deal. Other times we're told it's a security threat and it's a completely different issue. Again, Lack of policy clarity. This is our thematic, isn't it? It's suddenly become our thematic today, Jeffrey. Yes, it has. Profits at Chinese industrial firms have rebounded after months of decline amid US trade tensions and domestic growth. Concerns May industrial profits rose a mighty 1.1% on the back of better sales and margins in the equipment and oh, coal sectors. There we go. Uh, that's a marked improvement on the previous month's data where profits fell by almost uh, the most in almost three and a half years. Uh, on the data front, uh, Eurozone consumer confidence expected to remain steady while the first read of German inflation for June is seen at one point. 4% unchanged on May. The final reading of US first quarter GDP seen unchanged at 3.1%. All of that on your economic calendar for the day ahead. Coming up on the programme, the activist investor then, Elliot, reveals its stake in Bayer. We'll look at what that means for the beleaguered German chemicals company. Ahead, uh, EU regulators reportedly set to approve Vodafone's deal with Liberty Global. Details after the break. And... If you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A CNBC signature event. 
Northeast Tech West. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. You know, when the production team see me back, they always get so excited. Um, they really do. Um, and then they do a read like this. All prices are slipping. They're not really, are they? Not really. Come on, guys. Come on. Three. That's what I say. Oh, please see me. Look at them. Uh, three tenths of one percent. Look at where oil has come from. I'll just give you a, a little hint of this one as well. 2.68% up WTI in the previous session. Week today, 3.4% higher. Month today, up 11% as well. An extraordinary, extraordinary rally considering uh, where we thought we were on demand and you know, those trade concerns only a couple of days ago. Anyway, I'm going to go with their read. Oil prices are slipping as investors await the outcome of US-China trade talks in Japan, as well as the decision, of course, from OPEC on output cuts. President Trump and President Xi will look for a breakthrough in trade talks in Osaka. Meanwhile, OPEC and its allies will decide on whether to continue with output cuts at a meeting in Vienna next week. Ahead of that meeting, the Russian president, Mr. Putin, and the Saudi Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, will hold talks in Japan. Oil had closed over 2% higher on Wednesday after US crude inventories fell sharply. Now, Carl Icahn has called for a special shareholder meeting of Occidental Petroleum, saying he wants to replace four of the firm's directors. The activist investor has criticised Occidental's takeover of Anadarko, saying it's too expensive and could endanger the firm if oil prices collapse. The billionaire investor owned a $1.6 billion stake uh, in the old company as of May 30th. In a statement, ICANN said he wanted to add new directors to the board to prevent acquisitions being struck without stockholder approval. Elliott Advisors has confirmed a holding in German firm Bayer worth 1.1 billion euros. The activist investor revealed the stake after it welcomed the appointment of an external lawyer by the chemicals company to provide legal advice on a US lawsuit concerning the weed killer Roundup. Bayer has also set up a special supervisory committee to examine its legal strategy. Vodafone will reportedly secure regulatory approval from the EU for its $22 billion takeover of Liberty Global's networks in Central Europe. According to Reuters, Vodafone's offer of concessions will see the deal approved in Brussels. As part of the concessions, the British telecom firm has offered Telefonica Deutschland access to its high-speed broadband network in Germany and Central Europe. And stepping away from the corporate space, President Trump has continued his criticism of Fed Chair Jerome Powell. During an interview with Fox, Trump said the U.S. Central Bank should have ECB President Mario Draghi instead of Powell because of Draghi's readiness to provide more stimulus to support Europe's economy if necessary. Now, UBS thinks the Fed will cut rates by 50 basis points in July. U.S. Chief Economist Seth Carpenter is still with us. Uh, Seth, uh, I, I have to ask you about your, your move 
move. You moved into the 50 basis point rate cut camp yesterday. Uh, the big story, the big reaction from markets was uh, on the back of Bullard's comments, reining in expectations of a 50 uh, basis point cut. What made you change your call? So what made us change the call was the press conference and the statement and the dot plot last week at the June FOMC meeting. Um, massive shift. You got close to half of the committee calling for a 50 basis point cut this year. You had the statement change that was clearly a very, very, very substantial forward lean to, to some sort of cut this year, the way they used the language. Um, and it seems like overall, they're shifting away from their data dependence towards something that's closer to a risk management strategy where you ask yourself, boy, not sure where the economy is. Is it fine? Is it in a bad situation? And then say, well, if I cut, am I going to regret that decision very much if things are okay? In contrast, if I don't cut and it does turn out that things have gone quite badly, that does seem like a costly mistake. So that shift away from data dependence, I think, is uh, why we changed our call. Now, it could change. Yeah, I was gonna say, hasn't the US got a bit of chill space here? Can't we just kind of hang out a little bit and we'll just wait? They're not like other economies that have got eight, nine percent unemployment. I mean, let's just go through the stats. We've got today, GDP, first quarter. I know someone's going to tell me it's looking backwards. We're looking at a 3.2% figure. Look at the unemployment rate. I don't even know what we are, 3.6, somewhere around that at the moment. We've got low, low levels, good growth in the economy. You know, stock market's booming. Why, why don't they just wait? What, what's wrong with wait and see? So. I'm not sure I disagree with you. We were actually a bit surprised last week, and that's when we changed changed our call. I, I will say they have not exactly shrouded themselves in glory with the clarity of their communication. Um, I think, though, what they're they're facing is one: globally, interest rates are low; two: globally, inflation is low. And if they're wrong and they don't understand exactly what's going on with the economy because they're not sure how much of an effect the trade war has had, and so if they're wrong and the economy does slip because of the trade war, other reasons, they want to make sure they're out in front of it. Sure, but they're already out in front. I mean, just, just one more for me, but I was looking at the mortgage rates, 30-year mortgage rates, you know, most Americans price off that, whatever. They, they look great. They're a percent over 1% lower than they were at their peak late last year as well. Again, pe real Americans are getting interest rate cuts regardless as well. They're buying over 17 million units on an annualized basis on cars as well. They're not having problems getting credits. Where's the problem? So. We should switch topics so we can actually argue with each other. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we think on an underlying basis, the U.S. economy is actually fine. We think the slowdown that we saw in Q4, the weakness in domestic spending in Q1, almost entirely driven by the trade war with China. But once we get through that, things look like they should be good. I think there is the question, though, do we know for sure, do businesses know for sure when the trade deal, trade war is going to be resolved? Do we know for sure that Trump's not going to escalate and, 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 and add more tariffs? And I think the answer to that question is no. And so for them to be prepared for the consequences, it does seem a bit asymmetric. We don't have any problem whatsoever with inflation. Stimulating an economy that's, that's in the gutter is quite difficult for a central bank. Uh, straightforward question. If, if we have an agreement that the market believes is a deal, does that take the rate cuts off the table? It does not, I don't think. I think you need, I think that's necessary, but not, not sufficient. I think on top of uh, something that seems pretty conclusively to be a deal, uh, in Osaka, you also need the data between now and the end of July to come in decidedly better than the Fed is ex expecting. Now, it's only got to be a little bit better than what we're expecting. Take yesterday's data on durable goods, core capital goods shipments as part of that that tells you about business equipment investment spending came in very positively, as we had been expecting. Uh, but you need all of that to continue, I think, for the Fed to, to stay its hand. 
Uh, I know you're an economist and not a, a trader, but uh, a lot of our audience is trying to figure out what, whether they need to square the books going into the weekend and get rid of any of their very risky long exposure at, at this point. Um, your thoughts welcome on this. I mean, what do you think the odds are that we'll get a market-pleasing announcement through the weekend? Sure. First to all regulators everywhere, I'm not making trade recommendations because that would be wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think our baseline case is, in fact, it will be a benign outcome. It will look as if we're continuing to make progress, but there is no reason, no reason to be overly confident that that will be the case. And I think any surprise at this point, given where people seem to be vis-a-vis -vis the likelihood of the outcome, it could hurt pretty dramatically if, if, if people are wrong. Seth, does the rest of the world need a US rate cut more than America needs a rate cut, <laughs> given everything we know about the billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars refinancing that needs to happen in dollars or other currencies? But let's face it, a strong dollar can hurt a lot of these other countries. No, I think that's right. And I think one of the lessons over the past several years, especially as we've been emerging from the last recession, as the Fed was one of the first, or if not the first, developed central bank to raise rates is global linkages are just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so I do think I, I think that sort of concern is absolutely warranted. So Jeff pushed you a little bit outside of your wheelhouse with his question. So coming back to your, your wheelhouse a little bit more, uh, I see in one of your recent research pieces, you've laid out uh, various signposts that we should be watching when it comes to the economic data between now and the next Fed meeting. I thought it was interesting that payrolls and core PCE feature as second tier <laughs> indicators to you. Why are those less important? So part of that, again, goes back to the press conference last week. So when you think about what Powell had said in May, I thought it was striking. I remember sitting at my desk watching it on the screen and almost shouting at the computer. He <laughs> said, not only was inflation at target in 2018, not only were the first three months of the year of soft inflation transitory and as a result not to be not to be worried about, but also measures of underlying inflation were at target. I mean, there was conviction, it was solid, it was very, very strong. In June, just last week, he went back to concerns about low inflation. So the data dependent side of things for, for what I normally think of as core economics weren't there. And when we think about the spending, I think where they're puzzling is business spending, investment spending has, has been weak and it's been weaker long, a little bit longer than we anticipated. Yesterday's data were quite welcome in that regard. As a share of GDP, much smaller than what we know is strong in the second quarter, which is household spending. And so for that reason, I'm trying to take a cue from what Powell has said, where they seem to have their most discomfort, where the uncertainty is. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.